Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 62. I'm your host, Eric Moore. Today, we're going to be talking about, are we going to have a recession? What is a recession? How long do recessions last? And what are some things that you're going to start to hear, predictions uh, on recessions? Last week, we talked about bear markets. And not every recession is the same. Uh, or is a recession a foregone conclusion, given what we're seeing? We'll talk about that and kind of get into it. So what is a recession? Well, the back of the napkin, and I think I mentioned this in the, in the bear market comparisons we did last week. I'll certainly link to that. Uh, when we think about a recession, normally that is, uh, I say the back of the envelope, is two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. And I'll, I'll kind of explain exactly what you're seeing when you see GDP go up or down. Uh, of course, the National Bureau of Economic Research, NBER, and I'm going to link to them as well. They have all the data on every recession that's happened going back to, you know, like the 1800s. Uh, they don't necessarily define it in terms of two consecutive quarters of decline in real GDP. Rather, and I'm quoting from them, a recession is a significant decline in economic activity spread across the economy, lasting more than a few months, normally visible in real GDP, real income, employment, industrial production, and wholesale retail sales. So, and I'll link to an article I did previously, and it's going to be a little bit older, and obviously we have all new data, but how you could actually pull up each of those um, you know, uh, if you wanted to sort of track this on your own. So recession, we'll get into some of the predictions. But first, when we talk about GDP, of course, that's gross domestic product. And anyone who's ever taken an economics course or a business course probably learned GDP equals C plus I plus G plus parentheses, X minus M, close parentheses. So what is gross domestic product? Well, basically, it's a way of sort of categorizing all of the uh, basically the economic activity. And to come up with a GDP, they look at everything and it's basically, you know, what are uh, consumer investment or consumer spending, right? Uh, business investment, that might be, you know, a company uh, purchases equipment or something like that, government spending. And then the final input is, uh, so it's consumer plus business plus government, and then you plus exports minus imports. Um, and so, by the way, you know, it, is this an exact science? You know, it, does it really capture everything? Um, no, I mean, it doesn't capture illegal things or black market goods or anything like that. But that's a general idea. And when an economy is growing, you're seeing GDP continue to go up, uh, sort of the value of all of those finished goods and, and different things like that. So the other thing, too, is we talk about GDP, and I won't spend too much time on this. Uh, you can go back. I'll link to another previous episode I did a little bit more on expansion of what this is. Uh, but it's you're measuring finished goods. And, and the way I usually explain this, let's say you go to a store and you buy a water bottle. Well, that's consumer spending, right? But that water bottle has, let's say, the plastic bottle. It's got a label that's affixed. Uh, you've got the cap. You've got the water, theoretically, right? They went to a spring and they purchased this water or whatever it is. Those are all intermediate goods. Those are all part of the final good, but GDP only measures uh, the final good in the economy. So recession would be either the NBER, and they'll say there was a recession. Usually they issue a statement afterwards. 
But generally, most people look at two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. Now, when we say GDP, we say real GDP growth. And imagine this. Imagine the whole economy was, you know, we, we did one thing. We sold a water bottle for a dollar. Uh, and the next next quarter, uh, we sold that same water bottle for a dollar ten. And there's 10% inflation. Well, really, the economy didn't grow. You're, you're doing that same water bottle. Uh, but it went from a dollar to a dollar ten because prices rose 10%. Well, that's why when we say real, real means adjusted for inflation. And so in that case, we'd say there's actually 0% increase in the economy or GDP because we had 10% inflation. So when they measure real GDP, it backs out inflation. So you shouldn't get a rise in, in the economy just because prices went up. It's the rise over any rise in inflation. So that's why we say real and it's adjusted. Now, one of the, the things that we're getting predictions on and the number of firms, I'll go through some of those. Uh, Q2, so quarter two is April, May, June. We really won't see that until the first release in, uh, in July. But they're predicting anywhere from you know, negative 10 uh, GDP growth to negative 25. I saw one prediction, negative 30%, obviously, because everything that's going on with the coronavirus and the shutdowns, and we have you know, a lot of businesses that are shut down working from home. So it's worth noting, though, when, when you see a quarter come out and they say, okay, GDP, real GDP rose X percent or it declined X percent, what are they talking about? Well, typically what happens is, let's say we had a rise of you know, 1% in a given uh, last quarter uh, or, or in this quarter, right? When they're talking, what is that? It's looking at GDP from the previous quarter and GDP to the current quarter. So let's say GDP was a dollar, real GDP was a dollar. Uh, and then the second quarter, real GDP was a dollar one. So that's a 1% increase quarter over quarter. And the way you'll see that though, would actually be a GDP growth rate of 4%. And you might be like, why, why are you saying 4%? You just told me it was 1%, a dollar to a dollar one. Again, we're using ridiculously low numbers. The real economy is trillions of dollars. But um, so what they do is they come, they look at the growth rate from last quarter to this quarter, and then they annualize it. So basically, you take whatever the amount is and you multiply it by four. If you want to do it another way, you do one plus the rate uh, to the exponent of four and minus one. And anyway, if, if you had a one percent quarter over quarter, they would actually show four percent. Uh, growth rate because they always annualize the growth rate. Uh, I want to spend a little bit of time on these numbers because you're going you're gonna to see some pretty big numbers coming up. And it's always important to remember that you are annualizing uh, these numbers. All right. So that's, uh, that's you know, GP, that's, uh, you know, quarter over quarter is sort of what you're looking for. Remember, it's always annualized. So given where a lot of people are asking, are we going to have a recession? Are we going to have, uh, how bad is the recession going to be? And then later, we'll sort of look at types of recessions. There are different types of recoveries. And we'll also look at some historical data on how long these usually last. So uh, the Daily Shot, uh, part of Wall Street Journal, and you can only get this if you have a subscription. I, you know, I kind of hate putting links into the, the show notes that you have to have a subscription for. But if you go to the Wall Street Journal, 
if you have a subscription, it's in there. And U.S. quarter two GDP growth forecast. And this is one of the questions that the Wall Street Journal had pointed out. How bad are people forecasting the decline in quarterly, second quarter GDP growth rate? Uh, remember, that's a growth rate, and then that will be annualized. And it was kind of interesting that it, the median, uh, you know, sort of the taking the the really high estimates, really low estimates, but the median estimate is somewhere around minus 12%, minus 12.5% decline uh, in Q2 GDP. Remember, that's an annualized number. On the high end, we've got Morgan Stanley. They're saying minus 30%. Uh, Deutsche Bank was about uh, minus 13 And then I think, uh, I, oh yeah, Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs is about minus 23%. Uh, Bloomberg Economics was about minus eight, minus nine. I'm looking at a bar chart, so it's tough to tell exactly what it was. So a lot of different, and the range of forecast is really interesting. I mean, you know, just from some of these go from minus eight to minus 30. And right now, we, you know, we really don't know what the data is going to come in as. Um, I certainly do expect a decline in in real GDP in Q2, given that a lot of stuff is shut down. So, and then the other thing is people are starting to say, okay, if we get a recession and we get this uh, quarter over quarter annualized decline in GDP, how long does it last? Uh, there's another graph on here. And let's see, this is uh, put out by Oxford Economics. And their prediction, I'm not sure if this is a median or but they have uh, Q1 should wind up being negative half a point. Q2 should be negative 11.5%. And then they have Q3 at plus 3.2% and Q4 at plus 14.5%, which would be, I'd have to look and see if it actually did get that. So, uh, you know, when you look at these predictions, people are trying to figure out right now, uh, what, how bad is it going to be in Q2? Obviously, we just saw the unemployment, uh, new unemployment claims uh, go up over 3 million. And I got to tell you, I mean, for I mean, we'll see what happens next week, the following week. Um, I don't think that was unexpected by anybody. But think about years from now when you're looking at, you know, on a chart, this sort of will mess up the chart for years to come, right? Because you, you'll have this, this outside print of, of unemployment. So right now, Q2, how bad is it going to get? Um, and then, you know, technically, could we avoid a recession? I, uh, again, the NBER um, will sort of call these things. Uh, could we possibly have only one quarter of negative GDP growth? Yeah, it's possible. Uh, it's possible we still come in a little bit positive for Q1. Uh, and it's really the timing of this. You think, you know, January and February, uh, Things were not shut down, and then obviously you have March, depending upon different parts of the, the country. Uh, we'll get to sort of whether it's a supply shock or a demand shock, uh, but it, theoretically it is possible we only have Q2. You know, we'll know once we know, sort of speak, right? So, you know, that's that's where people are trying to come up with is predictions. Um, economists do this, but the range of forecasts is really wide, and part of that I, I'm not sure. Uh, we really know what what the impact of all this is going to be, and we don't know what type of recovery or or how long. Um, the other interesting thing that you know, last week we did sort of the uh, 
um, the, the deal on bear markets. And, you know, the, I'll link to that one. You know, I'm not going to go through sort of some of the historical bear markets and types of bear markets, but I, I did think it's interesting just to know because it plays into what we're sort of looking at with regard to uh, GDP growth or declines and, and also just thinking about types of recoveries and um, whether or not we're going to be in a recession. I think it's pretty evident due to the fact where so many businesses and economic activity is shut down, we're certainly going to see a decline in, in Q2. Uh, but there are a, a couple different types of uh, bear markets. So bear markets are more thinking about the stock market now. Uh, but there are, let's say, structural, uh, cyclical, and event-driven bear markets. And a structural bear market, and this is uh, from Goldman Sachs. Uh, I think the source was Statistica. Statista. Yeah, that's what it is. I can't say that. Also in the Wall Street Journal. And they said structural is the, the average length of bear markets is 42 months. The average recovery is 111 months. Cyclical is 50 is the average recovery time versus the average length of 27. So they lost for 27. And then they said event-driven, uh, the average length is only nine months and the recovery is 15 months. So it seems to, to indicate, at least according to Goldman Sachs, what they put out, and I didn't read the full article, that event-driven uh, less time and less time to recover. And, and just to furthermore from, and this is in, in Forbes, I'll link to this because uh, this is not behind a paywall. Uh, Forbes actually explained that Goldman Sachs analyst, uh, they broke the bear markets into, as I said, structural, cyclical, and event-driven. And they note that this is from the article, structural bear markets have been triggered by imbalances and financial bubbles. And they said, you know, think about the global financial crisis in 2008, cyclical bear markets occurred at the end of a business cycle. Uh, so typically result of rising interest rates, impending recessions, and or falling corporate profits. And then the last one, uh, event-driven bear markets, and they're triggered by one-off shocks to the economy. And they mentioned here wars, oil prices. We'll talk about you know the 1970s and oil shocks, oil prices, and emerging market crisis. So emerging market crisis might have gone back to, let's say, 19... Uh, 97, 98, we had uh, devaluing of some of the currencies in the EM markets. They call it the Asian contagion. You had long-term capital markets. Um, so anyway, that's that's a little bit about the bear markets. And I think those, I bring this up because not every recession is caused by the same thing and not every recession is the same. And, you know, when you get into the idea of what type, what causes a recession and you know, we just talked about the bear markets. There's, in economics, you have supply and you have demand. You might say, well, I, I understand that. That's, that's one of the, you know, the first things that, uh, that people sort of look at, right? But when you think about, uh, when we look at, you know, supply and demand, you look at things like that, um, there's supply side and there could be something called a supply shock. And there's also demand shocks. And so I think it's worth just talking about those briefly. So we think about a supply shock. What is a supply shock? Well, supply shocks typically um, are when you know you assume that demand is the same, and you know economics. A lot of times you have these assumptions, 
but you assume that what's called aggregate demand, aggregate demand is like the, the demand in total, right? Not just because of price, not just because of taste or preferences. But a supply shock uh, typically is something that's unexpected. You have a, a sudden change in supplies, maybe of commodity, like oil or food or something else, or just a product in, in general. And, you know, they can, supply shocks often are bad uh, because when you have a, a decrease in supply um, and let's say demand is still constant, you might have uh, a price in spike. Um, but sometimes all of a sudden there's a, a ton of supply that comes on the market. It's a supply shock in the inverse. And then you have a decrease in price. So think about like uh, here, sugar. Um, so a number of years ago, there was a glut of sugar and prices of sugar went down because you had so much supply. They, they were outsized uh uh, product in the sugar market. Um, I guess they had really good weather or, you know, whatever else that's beyond the scope of this. So, but demand shocks are a little bit different. And let's say demand shocks, you know, they're just that it's, uh, you know, when you look at demand shocks, think about some sudden, um, you know, adverse effect that, uh, that happens in the economy. So when we look at demand shocks, um, it's usually a surprise, uh, temporarily, uh, you know, might increase demand, might decrease demand. Um, obviously, you know, when you think about demand shocks, there could be an increase in demand or there could be a sudden decrease in demand. So when you think about um, the current situation, I would say there's a demand shock for Airline travel, there's demand shock for hotels. So, you know, that's where uh, there's some sort of disruption and it's unexpected events, but you've got the supply and demand. And I think it's interesting because, you know, we'll sort of know in hindsight a lot of this stuff. But one of the things that happened in the 1970s is you had oil shocks. You had uh, a sudden shock in supply of oil. Um, and what you saw is the economy was actually going down. Uh, GDP was falling at the same time prices were rising, especially, you know, we had inflation. And they actually call that stagflation. The economy was stagnant, uh, but prices were rising. And you think normally, what does the Federal Reserve do? Well, when, when the economy is faltering, they, they, uh, they lower interest rates. But what happens is when you have inflation, lowering interest rates might exacerbate the problem and create more inflation. So that was sort of a... Uh, a difficult type of uh, economy. And so I think there's a lot of debate right now about whether this winds up being a supply shock or a demand shock. And the, the consequences or the effects, uh, if it's one or the other, can can sort of be far-ranging. Uh, I would say that in some areas, we have supply shocks. In uh, other areas, we have a sudden demand shock, right? I mean, we have a sudden demand for ventilators and masks and, and as they say, PPE, personal protection equipment. I think that's the, the official vernacular. And then we had a sudden shock in the decrease in demand for, let's say, in the travel industry. So, but these are these are areas to watch. So we'll get into some of the historical things with regard to, um, you know, just the the history of of recessions, how long they typically last. Uh, what do you? 
see in recessions. But a lot of people are trying, you're hearing the term right now, are we going to see a V recovery, a U recovery, or an L-shaped recovery? And since I'm talking to all of you, it's, you know, we don't have the graphs, but think of it this way. If you think about a V-shaped recovery, you have the economies going, 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 you have this sudden drop down, and then a, a rapid rise back to the old levels that would form, you know, look like a, a V on a chart. A U-shaped recovery would be you come down and then you sort of, instead of snapping back right away, a U-shaped recovery is you come down, you sort of bottom out and you you go along that level, much like the U as opposed to a V. A U has a, a longer bottom or a V has just a, it hits the bottom and bounces back. And then finally, sort of the L-shaped recovery. And the L-shaped recovery, um, now you think about an L, it comes down and just goes to the right. Um, sometimes you have to move that, you know, kind of tilt that L to the left a little bit. So it comes down on a slope and then slow, there's a lot slower recovery. And so L-shaped recoveries, and I'll link to the, uh, there's an article in the Harvard Business Review. I think you get uh, one or two free articles a month. So I'll link to this. Again, I try not to link to stuff that's behind a paywall because then everybody goes, tries to go see it. And you're like, that's great. But so they gave the example of Greece being an L-shaped recovery in the Harvard Business Review. And, you know, they kind of showed a, a chart and you can, I'll link to this. And they had pre-crisis growth trend and then they had the actual growth. And that's where they sort of, they came down, but the L, they continued to sort of hit bottom, but it, it, it didn't snap back. It just sort of meandered around the bottom and then slowly started to, to come back. And so that we'll know which one we have after the fact. Uh, but I wanted you to be aware when you're hearing all these commentaries about, is it a U-shaped, a V-shaped, or something else? Um, what, what exactly are we looking at here? So, you know, we've covered a lot of ground here. And the last part of what I want to do is just think about historically, uh, what have we seen with regard to uh, recessions in the past? How long? And then just a little bit of, you know, what you should sort of be looking for. And it's important to remember, too, last week I did the, the thing on the bear markets and some history around bear markets and timing, peak to trough, uh, recoveries and all those types of things. I'll link to that. You can listen to that if you haven't already. But recessions, you don't always have to have a recession to have a bear market in the stock market. And a bear market in the stock market doesn't necessarily always cause a recession. Um, they are not uh, dependent upon one another. So we know we're, we've already hit a bear market, and that's simply a retracement greater than 20% from recent highs. That's already happened. But uh, sort of the, you know, we still really don't know um, about this recession piece. And part of the reason why we don't know, and it's actually kind of an interesting time, because normally, you know, you, you start to get data, and you start to get data that comes out. Maybe, you know, you get a number that's good, and the next one is bad. I'll give you an example. Let's say we were humming along and uh, unemployment dropped. You looked at, uh, you know, average hourly earnings are going up. You're seeing GDP grow. But you start to see, oh, that's interesting. Uh, and look at that uh, drop in manufacturing or, you know, you're kind of looking at uh, auto sales. And you start to see month after month, you know, a couple months in a row, auto sales are coming off the high. So that's interesting. That's something I'll watch. I mean, all of us, it's, I mean, we, we kind of look and we say, 
um, you know, we know with the, the different measures that governments are taking, um, obviously a lot of demand, a lot of supply is coming out of the economy. And so it's sort of like, we know it's coming. Um, and e- even it's interesting, the Atlanta GDP now indicator, uh, which is, uh, you know, still on Q1 numbers, it still has Q1 as a, an increase of 3.1% as the, um, just based on the numbers, uh, positive increase of 3.1% for Q1. Um, I think that will come down because they obviously, they only take data points and they don't editorialize it. They don't try and make predictions or assumptions or anything like that. So historically, and I'll link to this, the MBER, they've got data, um, let's see, back to like, you can you can see that from June 1857 to December 1858, there was a recession. And the way that they do this they have what's called peak to trough, the contraction. So it's it's the peak to the very bottom. And you would say, you know, once you come out of it, so it started in this case, June 1857. By the way, I'm using this one because it's the top of the, the list here. And you would say, okay, the peak was June 1857. The trough was December of 1858. So that's 18 months from the peak to the trough, Right. And then you would say, okay, December of 1858, um, that's when, you know, the the recession was over. Let's let's go back to more recent ones. December of 07, 2007, this is the last official recession we've had. That one lasted 18 months, uh, December of 07 till June of 2009. Of course, the stock market hit its, uh, its... you know, bottom or low on in March of 2009. Sometimes, a lot of times the markets, I shouldn't say a lot of times, but you know, remember the market sort of discounts information that's coming in. But that was 18 months. And, you know, that one ended June of 09. So June of 2019, last year, it was 10 years between uh, the end of the prior recession. Um, and in fact, I mean, technically, we, uh, we've gone all of... Uh, you know, June of 2020 would have been 11 years. And the previous uh, trough to, to peak was 120 months. So we actually, uh, this economic cycle lasted much longer than previous ones. We broke the record. The previous one was, uh, we looked at nine, July of 1990 to March of 1991. That recession lasted eight months. Uh, and then the next one was March 2001 through November of 2001. And that one, it was, uh, you know, from the 1991 to the 2001, that was your 10 years or 120 months. So we had broken that record. But just kind of looking back, if we look at the average uh, 1945 to 2009, that's 11 cycles. Uh, the peak to trough is about 11 months. And, you know, prior to that, they were a little bit longer. So it just kind of depends. Like there was a, for example, January of 1980 to July of 1980, that only lasted six months. So think about that. That was the same year. Started in January and it was over July of 1980. It only lasted six months. So that's one of the things to keep in mind. I mean, it, it doesn't have to last forever. Uh, you know, if you look at the one, 
in, let's say, 1929 to 1933, the Great Depression, that lasted 43 months. Lasted 43 months. So that's what a lot of people are trying to sort of handicap right now is how long will this last, um, you know, and, and those types of things. So we'll, we'll know after the fact, and I always say that because this NBER, uh, they put out an announcement. And so the, the recession, the last recession we had actually ended in June of 2009, but they didn't put the announcement out until September of 2010. And that's, you know, so they'll know after the fact when they evaluate all the stuff. But uh, remember, generally, the back of the napkin says if you have two quarters in a row of negative GDP growth, which is annualized, of course, um, you know, that's that's sort of what you're looking at. So covered a lot of ground there. Um, so how long do recessions ask, uh, last? I mean, we'll know once we're out of it. Um, but it is, I did think it was interesting when looking at the, the Goldman Sachs info. Uh, that I was reading in the Forbes article, just the idea of a cyclical, structural, or event-driven event. Uh, it seems like, per their research, event-driven uh, bear markets are shorter in duration and shorter time to recover. Uh, but then, of course, we have, you know, is it a supply shock, a demand shock? Is it a little both? And as I said in the Harvard Business Review article, which, of course, I'll link to that, I'll link to the Forbes article, stuff you can get to, uh, recoveries can be either V-shaped, U-shaped, or L-shaped. And we'll sort of know after the fact. But uh, do understand, though, when you see um, – and by the way, when do you get these numbers? So I'll link to the Atlanta uh, Fed GDP tracker. What that does is, for example, um, October, November, December was Q4 of last year. What happens is towards – I think it's the third week of January, you get a first estimate of Q4 – in February, you get the second estimate of Q4. And in March, you get the final number for Q4 of last year. So October, November, December. Um, so we are, we're not going to start getting the official numbers from the BEA, the Bureau of Economic Activity, uh, for January, February, and March. In April, we'll get a first estimate. In May, we'll get the second. In June, we'll get the final. We're not going to see Q2's numbers. So Q2 is April, May, June. We're not going to see the first print until July. But the Atlanta Fed uh, GDP tracker, it's volatile. And even on the site, they mention uh, they don't editorialize anything. All they do is as data comes in, they're going to update um, sort of their model or their prediction. And they compare it against you know a blue chip consensus economic forecast. So I'll link to that as well. But for example, right now, uh, they, I think it was mid-January, they started tracking what Q1, so January starts Q1, Q1. So they have Q1 uh, available and each data piece that comes in, I think they update every week or it might be a little more frequent. And so what you'll expect to see on that to get a first look at sort of Q2, just based on data, remember not all the data comes in at the same time. So you might get a piece of data, get another piece of data. So it's really volatile. And then they, they expressly say that on there. Uh, but probably mid-April, um, you'll get the first indication based upon whatever first data sets come out, what Q2 is is going to maybe look like. And that's that's really the indication. But right now, predictions are all over the map, uh, anywhere from, as I said, you know, minus 8, 
910 all the way to minus 30 for Q2. Um, so we'll have, we'll have to see. But if you want to sort of play armchair economist and you want to understand what's going on, um, you know, that that's that's a, a good way of looking at it. So how long will the recession last? Will we have a recession? Uh, to be determined. But now you know how to look at it, what to watch, and understanding when you see that GDP number. Because um, whatever the GDP print is, remember, for example, if we have a, a 5% decline in real GDP in Q2, when you annualize that, guess what? It's going to show negative 20% because you sort of make the assumption that it keeps going the entire year. So uh, I would expect to see, you know, whatever number it is, it's, it's uh, you got to remember the annualized thing. So with that, we'll leave it there. I'm going to have a lot of links in the show notes for you. And uh, by the way, keep the questions coming. It was it was helpful to hear from people after last week's episode. And you can reach out to me at razorwealth.com, the contact and go ahead and uh, and send suggestions. I've gotten great suggestions for uh, some future programs, and a lot of times I've incorporated those. They're just questions that I'm able to incorporate. And of course, share this with, uh, rather than wasting time rating, reviewing, and starring, and doing all that junk, uh, just go ahead and share this uh, episode or, or episodes with uh, people you think that might be uh, might benefit or might be interested in some of the information. So with that, we'll leave it there. Have a good week. We'll be back next week.